This is recording number 10749, from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Vallejo, California. This is the fourth message in the Embracing Your Destiny series by Randy Bolt. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 10, 2008. This message is titled, Prize Purity. So the book of Joshua is all about the people of Israel finally actually taking possession of, actually embracing, actually living in that place of God's plans and purposes for their lives. And the purpose of our our study here is not just a history lesson, but because the, the principles that are articulated through the course of the record of these events in the book of Joshua... Help us to know how we also, as people of destiny, and I don't use that term lightly. I use that term, people of destiny, because that's what the Bible says that you are. A person of destiny. Collectively, we are people of destiny because we have a God in heaven who knows us. And who has been excited about unfolding his plans for your life since you were in your mother's womb, the Bible says. Because that's so, you and I can learn from their example, from the example of the people of Israel recorded for us in the book of Joshua, about how to actually take the step of moving in and living there. Not just knowing that perhaps someplace, sometime, or whatever, we might bump into our destiny. Or thinking, well, there are some people who get to experience you know, what it is to really have a life filled with purpose, but that's probably not going to be my lot in life. Moving from all of those excuses and disqualifications into the place where we actually live in the flow of God's design for me and for you. That's what this book is. That's why it's in the Bible. That's why we're taking time to study it. We've, over the last few weeks, we've talked about how embracing your destiny means to face your future, chart your course, surrender self, persist and persevere. And today, as we look at verses, or chapters 7 and 8 of the book of Joshua, we're going to be talking about how embracing your destiny means to prize purity. Prize purity. All of us are aware that... Um, it just seems like it's a, a, almost a daily occurrence it's that some prominent figure in politics, in entertainment, or in religion has some crash and burn episode. And all the rest of us, we watch the newspapers and, and the internet and, and television news and stuff, and we, we go, how? Oh my gosh, how did that happen? And... and uh, it seems almost bizarre to us that people could fall so far. But you know what? <laughs> you and I uh, have the same potential for falling from our destiny. Nothing will derail your destiny. Nothing will derail God's purposes unfolding in your life faster than... And more surely than coming to uh, the place where you begin to let your um, 
the value and worth that you place on righteousness, holiness, and purity, letting those values begin to slip and slide, nothing uh, will cause your, uh, your pursuit of destiny to fail, to stall, to derail faster or more surely than that. When we let our standards begin to creep downward, we find that we might, our, our fall may not be spread out across the pages of the Enquirer or People magazine or whatever, but just as surely the devastation uh, affects us and keeps us from becoming everything God intended. So that's why it's important for us to take a look at this today and learn from an event that happened with the, ch- the people of Israel so that we let them make the mistakes, and we don't. Now, let me tell you a quick uh, story. I, if you, uh, some of you know that we have in our family a very, very rustic cabin down in the San Bernardino Mountains in Southern California. And over the last few years, Sue and I uh, and our kids have uh, decided that we're going to try to make that thing actually habitable. Habitable. Livable. <laughs> Habitable. That's it. <laughs> and um, so we've been, you know, dinking away at it, uh, trying to, uh, to bring it uh, into a place where you, act, you know, would actually want to go there. <laughs> uh, and for a long time, we didn't have any, there was no water. Uh, so it made it rather uncomfortable. You know, you, we, we, we brought big jugs full of water for the toilet and, and it was, I don't know, it was a mess. But anyway, so we all had, we had to take our showers at a uh, campground, which is probably five miles down the road or so. And one day, uh, Sue and I were on our way to the campground to take our showers, and we came into the kiosk there where the little ranger outpost thing is where you, you drive up and you make your payment for your campsite or, in as, our, as was in our case, to pay for the use of the showers. It's like $3, right? So we pull up to the thing and roll down the window, and the window on the, in the kiosk is closed. And be, beyond that, though, I could see two or three rangers in there, and they were talking very heatedly, and they, you could tell there was something going on. They were, you know, somebody was having a problem with something. And so we just sat there and waited till the storm would pass and they would take my money and we could go on. But they just kept going on and on. And, and I'm looking back in the rearview mirror and now there's a, a, a lineup of cars waiting to get in. And I thought, this is nuts. I'm just going. If, they're not, if they don't want to take my money, so be it. So I drove on in and we did our business. And, and uh, then on the way out, you go right by the same little kiosk, on, but on the other side, right? So I, I drove by, and I saw, now I see that two of those rangers are outside of the kiosk, um, and they're still going at it about something. I don't know. S- some drama was taking, unfolding there that uh, I never did find out what it was. But they were still going at it, and I drove up, and I got the attention of one of them. I rolled down my window, and I said, hey, can I pay you for the shower that I just took? And the guy says, well, well, well sure. And, and so I, I gave him my money. And I think I, uh, it was, I gave him a $5 bill or I don't know. I guess there was two of us. So I may have given him a $10 bill and, and needed you know, some change. And uh, so he, he goes to the other ranger and says, can you get some change? And she was, no, I can't because of this. Was this I don't know. It was just some weird drama going on. But, and so I said, you know, forget it. <laughs> okay <laughs> and then I started to leave and the guy says to me he says you know he said your your honesty 
was surprising and appreciated. And I drove off, and I, here it is probably, I don't know, three years later? And, uh, and that still sticks in my mind, those, that little story. When I was driving away from there, that little episode and those two phrases, your honesty was surprising and appreciated, haunted me. I can't explain how I felt, except that it just felt like, a, like it was pressing in on me. That, that I, I couldn't get it out of my mind. It was just bugging me. And, and I, so I thought about it. I pondered it. Why is, that, why is that bothering me so much? And then I realized it's because a little... And I, trust me, I'm no, I'm no paragon of holiness here, right? I, 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 I'm not trying to say that. But my little act of integrity there, $3, you know, it wasn't much. But my little act of integrity stood out in such striking contrast to everything else that was going on in those rangers' lives that he had to note it and make comments about it. And the reason that bothered me is because I realized that I am a contributor to a culture where the standards have come down so low that something just as simple as that act would just stand out. And that is just sad. That's just sad. Do you know that the vice president of the United States, and this is not a political statement at all, the vice president of the United States, Dick Cheney, on the floor of the Senate of the United States, used the F word, and then when asked later if he regretted it, said no. Now, how is it that our culture has become so depraved. I don't know any other word to describe it. And I, I realized that the reason it bothered me so much, besides all what I just said, is that I'm a contributor to that. I'm a contributor to that. And I just, uh, I want to live in my, I want to live in the destiny that God has for my life. And I don't want to do anything that contributes to that process being stalled. But you see, our God, ha- part of Destiny, part of what he's called us to is a life of purity and holiness where standards are high. Now, none of us are perfect. We'll never be there this side of heaven. And so this, this message today is not about beating ourselves up because we're not perfect. It's not that. But it is about deciding to let, my, let the, the, the goals of my life, the standards that I'm shooting for, to rise to the level of God's um, uh, desires and designs. Does that make sense? So let's talk about, let's, let's take a look at what the children of Israel went through and just a few things to note about that. Beginning of verse 2, chapter 7, Joshua Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Now remember, we have just, it's been two weeks, so I'll I'll remind you that we've just seen the children, children of Israel capture the city of Jericho. That was their first obstacle on the way to um, taking possession of the promised land. So they've captured Jericho. Now Joshua sends men from there to another city, Ai, 
which is beside Beth Aven, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not tell the people, Go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about 3,000 men went up there, went up uh, there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. So you get the story. The, Joshua sends out these spies to Ai. They come back, ah, this is a pushover, Joshua. Don't bother all the people. Just... Well, let's just take two or 3,000 guys. We'll go up there. We'll, we'll get that taken care of and we won't bother everybody else. So they do that, but the people of Ai chase them. And actually, 36 men fall in the battle. And uh, the people of Israel, their hearts melt. After this huge victory, now they're, they're, uh, they've been beaten back by a very small little city. So verse 6 says, Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Lots of drama here. Verse 6 or 7. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So Joshua is falling on his face. He's throwing dust on himself. And he's saying, Oh God, why did you let this happen to us? Don't you know that everybody's going to start talking about how easily we can be defeated? And, and, you know, we should have just left us alone. We were better off on the other side of the Jordan. Why did we even bother with this? Oh, God, how did you let this happen? And by the way, you know what? They're all going to think you're pretty weak now, too. It'd be laughable, except that it sounds so much like me. When I'm going through times when it seems like my destiny has been derailed or stalled or stopped in some fashion. I will whine and cry and, oh God, why did you do that? Why did you let this happen? And on and on and on. And by the way, you're not looking so good right now. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever said anything like that. And I'll just assume I'm the only one. But Joshua is articulating, and in this, these few verses we see the uh, symptoms of a devaluing of holiness and, prior, uh, 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 and purity that has resulted in the standstill of the progression of the people of Israel in embracing their destiny. When you find yourself in a place where you can't seem to get any further you know that God has more for you but you just can't seem to get past this point pay attention to what we see here 
Now, here's some of the symptoms. First, a prideful self-confidence or self-sufficiency. Now, self-confidence isn't a bad thing unless it becomes prideful. Prideful in the fact that it's me, what I can do. Ah, you know, the AI is a pushover. We can take care of it. Just give us a few men. We'll go. We'll. Have you ever found yourself living your life out with that sort of, ah, I don't, you know, God, I'll need you for some stuff down the road, but right now I can handle this. You know, I, I know how to manage this part of my life. Now, you know, I might have to pray to you about some of the big things, but I can, I can deal with this. That's a symptom of what we're talking about. Another one of the symptoms is paralysis, like I was describing before, where you just can't seem to get past this point in your life. You're stuck, you're stalled, and you just keep bumping into the same wall, the same barrier over and over again. It never seems as though you can get by it. Take note of that. That's a symptom. We've also talked about the symptom of uh, blaming God. When you find yourself, or others, by the way, it can be, oh, it's, you know, it's, and, but it's, it's never our fault, right? We, we, it's always someone else's fault. It's the man, you know. It's the system. It was my dad. You know, on and on and on. We, we, we want to place blame because it sort of relieves us of responsibility. But when you hear yourself placing blame on others, placing blame on God, that's a symptom. That's a symptom. Another one of the, um, and I don't know if I have, no, I don't. I don't have this one up there, but another symptom is spiritual insensitivity. Dullness that comes over your soul. A hardness, a callousness that comes over your soul. And the reason that I I note this is, first of all, because I see it with Joshua. This is a guy who spent lots and lots of time just in the presence of God, developing a sensitivity to the voice of God. And here, Joshua, we're going to find out in just a couple of minutes here, that the the problem, the reason why the children of Israel couldn't... uh, uh, take AI had to do with, with some sin in their lives, some uh, impurity that had taken root in the, in the camp of Israel, and Joshua was oblivious to it. That's important to note, because when we start to allow impurity to, uh, be, de- or purity to be devalued in our lives, there's a callousness that begins to settle over our souls and we're not as sensitive to the things of the Lord. We're not able to hear his voice when he's, when he's trying to correct us and redirect us. And that's what happens here. Now let's go on. Verse 10. God responds to Joseph's little whining fit. And the Lord says to Joshua, Get up! Don't you like that? I love that. It's so real and so honest. You know, Joshua's whining and complaining and throwing dust and all this drama. And God says, get up. Why do you lie thus on, the fa- on your face? Israel has sinned. This is real simple, Joshua. Israel has sinned. 
It's not about all this other stuff. It's not about my reputation. So I'm grateful you're concerned about that. But it's really not about my reputation. It's not about any of these other things. Israel has sinned. Now look at verse uh, 16. Actually, I'm, I'm sorry. Let me, let's, let's stay with verse 11. And God says, Israel sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. Now he describes, he gives the diagnosis. For they have taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. They have taken some of the accursed things. They have stolen the consecrated things and they have lied about it or deceived about it those are the that's the um the the prescription or the not the prescription the diagnosis of the sin that has caused israel to be in the state that they're in now turn over to verse 16 but before we continue on there let me just talk about this these three things a little bit we're going to find out that when Uh, the children of Israel took the city of Jericho. God gave them specific uh, instructions that they they were supposed to destroy everything. Everything. Because God did not want the the paganism, the the people of of that land, the Canaanites and, and Jericho was part of that, had become so depraved I've told you this before, but they had reached a place of such depravity that they were actually burning their children in sacrifice to false gods. And every other wicked and awful thing that you could possibly imagine, they indulged in. And God didn't want anything from that, dis- that depraved culture to seep into their lives. And so he said, everything has to be destroyed by fire. Uh, but he said, the gold, the silver, and the bronze, and the iron um, implements or utilities um, can be brought into the treasury of the people of God. Because they, that stuff wouldn't get burned up anyway. So that was God's direction to them. Now, he's saying that this problem that you guys have faced with Israel or with AI is because of these things. You have taken the accursed things, you have stolen the consecrated things, and you have lied about it. So let's talk about that just for a minute. The accursed things. The accursed things were everything that God has said, burn it. Don't have anything to do with it. Now there are stuff in our in our that we have all have access to. There are things, there are activities, there are uh, people that we have access to in our lives. And you know, and I know, that God has said, hands off. Stay as far away from that as you possibly can. I don't need to el- elaborate or enumerate those things. You know. God has cursed those things. And you know where those boundaries are. It doesn't mean we always respect those boundaries, but we know where they are. And when we decide that we know better and we begin to take of the accursed things, we are in trouble. What does it mean to talk about, or what does he mean when he says they stole the consecrated things? 
Well, remember he said that the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the, and the um, iron uh, would be brought into the, the treasuries of the people of God. They were gods. He said that nobody else, they don't belong to anyone else. They're mine. The gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron. That's mine. There are things that God has laid claim to uh, in your life that when you refuse to offer to him or give to him, it's stealing from him. Now, I'm going to brush up against a subject that uh, we, we don't have time to deal with uh, today very much, and so I hope it doesn't create more confusion or consternation than it should. But the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, it says, How can a man rob God? And it clearly says, through the tithes and offerings. By withholding the tithes and offerings, we rob from, from God. Now, God is not, you've heard me say this before, God is not about money or dollars and cents. Listen, he's got all he needs, right? What he's after is our hearts. There's a direct connection between my wallet and my heart. And that's why, that's why God says, and, and look, I'm not going to soft pedal this. That's why God says 10% is mine. Not because I need the money, but because I need your heart. I want your heart. I want your heart. When we give our hearts to someone else, to something else, we're stealing what belongs to God. There have been so many times when I've given my heart to other things. I can give my heart so easily to my computer. (laughs) It's stupid. It's just plain stupid. I was in Starbucks this morning on the way coming over here, and a Dell computer uh, ad had fallen out of the New York Times and was sitting on the floor, and I looked down and I saw these pictures of these beautiful laptops. And my heart was going to that stupid thing. God wants our hearts. And then he said, you're in this trouble because you've lied about it. You've deceived. In John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. God isn't fooled. <laughs> you know, no one else is fooled either. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Do you know that we as human beings have almost an unlimited capacity for justifying almost anything we want to do? There's a book on the market right now called Gang Leader for a Day. This sociologist spent six uh, years with a, a basically a crack cocaine um, drug dealing gang in Chicago. And just, uh, it, I won't go into how that connection took place, but uh, he asked them again and again and again. He said, so how do you justify? Because they, they see themselves as being um, beneficiaries to the community. They see themselves as being, you know, giving to the, to the community. And, uh, and he said, how do you justify the killing? And they could. That's the scary thing. They could justify it. We can justify... I, 
I get on the freeway. I often have to travel to Southern California. I get on the Interstate 5 out there. The sign says, close your ears, Alan. The sign says 70 miles per hour. I, I will, without even thinking about it, I'll go 80. If I think hard about it, I can get it up to 90. Because I can justify anything. I tell myself, well, everybody else is going that fast. The highway patrol doesn't even bother with you until you're over five miles over the speed limit anyway. You've used that one. You know you have. I can talk myself into it like that. We aren't deceiving God. We're deceiving ourselves. And when we do, we're allowing the standards of God's purity and holiness in our view to be diminished. And when we do, we're going to find our destiny derailed. That's why this is so critical. So I want to talk to you now about the remedy. Verse 16, so Joshua rose early in the morning, brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. There's 12 tribes. One tribe was signaled out, Judah. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zerites. So they had the, the, the tribe of Judah, and they narrowed it down to the, to the family of the Zerites. And he brought the family of the Zerites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. They finally get down to the one guy that's the source of all this trouble. Now Joshua said to Achan, verse 19 says, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, I, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So he makes confession. Here's the, when we find ourselves or recognize that we, we were, we're stuck, we're not getting any farther in pursuit of our destiny, and we realize that this is, you know, there's, there's a, a reason for it. Here's what we do, the remedy. First, introspection. Joshua led the people in a, a, a search for the culprit. <clears throat> in Psalm um, 119, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This was uh, the psalmist crying out to God, God, I want to be an open book for you. Turn your searchlight on me. Find every dark corner. Find every place in me where the standards of righteousness have slipped and come down. Find that. Introspection. Let the Lord, you know, thank God he, he doesn't, he doesn't confront us with all of, all of our iniquity all at once. We wouldn't last. But he knows what we need to deal with right now. And he will zero in on it when we invite him to. The second thing that we see here is confession. Achan, what have you done? And Achan comes clean. And he says, yeah, this is what I did. I, I saw that Babylonian garment. You know. I saw that Gucci bag. 
and I couldn't resist it. I, so I took the silver and the gold, and I, I figured nobody will miss this. Yeah, I did that. Why is confession important? It's be important because we get on the same page as God. We start saying the same things about what we've done that God says. We start stop um, excusing it and spinning it, and we just call it what it is. God, I disobeyed you. I've sinned. And then, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we've talked about introspection and confession and finally repentance. Repentance means not that we sit around and you know, do, do penance or beat ourselves up or, or any of that kind of stuff that sometimes people think goes along with that word. Repentance simply means to turn and go another way. Turn and go another way than the one we've been traveling. Repentance. Listen to this from, uh, from Ezekiel chapter 18. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. That's what I want. That's what I want. I want to, whenever the Lord begins to reveal to me uh, that I have veered off course or allowed His standards to slip in my life, I want to stop going that direction and turn to go another. I'm going to ask you to uh, set your things aside and to stand to your feet. And I'm going to lead us in prayer as we close. And I already said before, this is not this is not a, a message about you know this this chat these two chapters are not in. Uh, by the way, I should say that in chapter eight of Joshua, we read about them going another way. This time, when they approach AI, they do everything right. First time around, they never even prayed. They never even talked to God about it. Well, this time they do everything right. They go another way, and God gives them the city. This story is in the book of the in this book of the Bible, because you and I need to um, not be uh, uh, somehow under some load of shame or guilt about our own unrighteousness, but in hope of God cleansing that, so that we can get past those places where we're stuck in pursuit of our destiny, and find Him uh, able to do the things that He wants to do.